Elliot Roger here. <laughs> hey, hey, thanks for listening to our very first episode. This is a new introduction that we're recording. Just uh, kidding. Not our first episode. This is happening in 2018. If you're listening podcast millionaires. If you're listening to this episode, I assume it's because you've subscribed to the whole feed or you're just some kind of completist, in which case seek mental help. So like any show, we have a lot of kind of iffy old early episodes. And this is definitely one, and in fact, probably the next five to ten uh, are of varying quality with one or two outliers. So a better idea, if you've decided to listen to the show, and I thank you so much for doing it, is to go to our episode called A Tale of Two Podcasts. And there we have ten excellent episodes that you can start with. Which and should really be titled The Ten Best Not a Huge Fan Episodes, probably. by the way. It well, should definitely be titled that. That's true. I just felt weird putting that there doing the listicle vibe but it's yeah. it's a i don't think you're hurting anybody because i think you're just sh- people it'll make it easy for people to find yeah it. all right well it'll be called something like that yeah. and you can go check it out and kind of get a vibe for what's going on but if you want to listen to this horse shit that's on here right now it's what a, even is the first depression one? is not a disease uh, depression is not a disease one still a good topic but yeah. we were probably had no clue it would be interesting to listen to this it's an now. hour and 20 minutes oh my god so yeah, we should do one where we listen to some old, horrible episode yeah. and just cringe the whole time. We've gotten a lot better. Yeah. I, I don't even, I can't even like open these old files and listen to them. Yeah. It's so too upsetting. painful. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, do that. Well, no, but listen, so this is like a news, ugh, I don't want to call it a news podcast because it's not, but we definitely are current events focused. Well, current events uh, occasionally touched on. Sometimes we like reviewing six-month-old films. <laughs> sometimes Not we talk so about... current events. Sometimes we talk about TV shows that have been off the air. <laughs> For many years. <laughs> As if we're reviewing them today. Because uh, everyone really cares. Yeah. No, but... Um, in general, this is not a story podcast. There's no narrative development unless you really are into subtle cues. There is an in-joke narrative that yeah. is fun to track happening, and there are definitely events that transpire, but you definitely can start with whatever our most recent episode is and go from there. And, the, and if you want a directory to the best and worst episodes, listen to the top 10 best episodes, Right, and which is also called... A tale, tale of two, two podcasts. podcasts. But yeah, uh, in general, yeah, don't listen to this episode. Listen to the most recent one. That's Start that way, yeah. and then go back. Stop listening now. Stop listening now. All right, here's the episode. The point is that... Uh, what's the point? Shut up and sit down. Yeah, no, so I did acid for the second time in my life. And the the last time I did it was at my last birthday <laughs> a year ago. And this was my second time, very different environments. And this one was an environment with lots of people, crowded, bars, being out and about. And 
the last time was like in the desert, like, you know, at one with nature. Was it a good experience? It was so... It, it I'm really, scared of doing any of those things. No, I know. It's... I... It really, like, how much time you think about it really makes a big difference. Like, this was like... I didn't... I was already pretty drunk. And I took... My friend just gave it to me and I took it. And I just went about my business basically as if I would anyway. Yeah. And it really didn't have that much of an impact. I mean, I felt really good and I felt kind of like, and I like blacked out. Yeah. But, and I had like energy, you know, but basically I was doing the same things I would do anyway. Whereas when I was in the desert, I took it and like sat and like stared at paintings and like walked out into the thing. And it was so much more intense because I was like thinking about it, you know? It's like that episode of The Sopranos where it is yeah. pe- peyote. Oh, the best. I love that episode. That's what I think of when I... I'm afraid of that blackout thing because my behavior when I'm blacked out is so abhorrent to me and to others who have to be around it that I don't want to ever put myself in those circumstances. But you need to get that out sometimes, man. You got to take the dragon so. out for a walk. The, the, dragon, the, the dragon is fine where he is. <laughs> Buried I, deep Because I've blacked hole. out twice in my life and they've both... The next day I've just been like... I can't ever what? do that again. Yeah, well, you and that's the whole thing about blanking out is you have the, the whole thing is the next morning you have that terrified feeling. I don't of want regret. that. Yeah. It's awful because then people tell me what I was doing. And you're just like, how do I go on? Yeah, it's it's very I act very out of character. I don't have any desire to, to do that. This actually segues very well into our discussion today okay. of depression. Yeah. And I would also tack on anxiety right. to that. And uh, <clears throat> what is your thesis? Well, I think that it's funny because I used to be that same way as you, where I what? used to be so scared of what I did the night before. I, I would, I would be so. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not scared of it. I don't want to that person that exists when in you to w- do anything when memories are not being created and when I've detached from the inhibitor, natural inhibitor that I have. I don't want that person to exist. Why not, though? Uh, because it's not... Uh, that person is annoying. When I when I black out, I become very, like, grabby, and I'm on people, and I'm very lovey-dovey in a way that I'm not. I don't, I'm not comfortable with those things. Well, but you see the significance here, don't you? This, what significance? The significance is that in your non-blackout life, you're exactly the opposite. I mean, you're very cold and prickly and like not like that. Correct. So that's in you. It just takes a lot of it to get out. And why, I mean, there's a reason why you bury it. It's not, it's not buried. I, it's, it's just how I am. There's a reason why when you get so fucked up that you have no more frontal cortex or inhibitions, you act completely the opposite of how you act. Yeah, because it's normally. pure id. That's it's. I don't. There's no reason for that to to exist. Sure, there is. No, it's you, part of you. Uh, you're acting like it's something that I restrain, but it's not. I don't have any restraint in my life about the way that I am with people. It's just the way that I am. I don't like closeness and, and and those things i don't like it i don't i don't want it around yeah what does it have to do with depression okay. what it has to do with depression and anxiety is uh I, it all comes down to ultimately a personal anecdote you don't for think me just to 
clarify, you don't think that depression is a disease. Yes. That's your point. That's the, the point is that I don't think depression is a disease. Not or, that it's not real. Or anxiety. No, I don't think either of them are a disease. Okay. I think they're real, and I want to make that very clear. That it's I don't think that people don't get depressed and that people aren't suffering from depression and anxiety. They are, and I have, you know. I don't think they are a disease in the sense that cancer or diabetes or even like a bacterial disease is a disease, you know. Okay. Do you want to elaborate on that? Or should I ask you questions? Well, Ultimately, we got to get back around to this personal anecdote that ties into how this yeah. is connected. All right, so but, but let's no, let's get to that after we talk about after we talk about this. What is what do you consider to be a disease? Like, why is cancer, diabetes? Why are these? A diseases? disease is a malfunction. It is a bodily malfunction caused either from within or without. Without. Okay. So diabetes is a literal bodily malfunction. Right. You know, you, you have something that is not working. So if, the way if, it's supposed if you're to. in a state of severe depression, very depressed, unable to function, basically, how is that not a disease by the very definition you've just given? Because your body is not malfunctioning. Your body is functioning the way it's supposed to function. Well, but your brain, the part of your body, or, well, there or whatever is no- governs your so the answer will be you have a chemical imbalance. There is no evidence in existence that depression is a chemical imbalance. It is not measurable by any chemical. It is I don't not have any way of refuting that because I'm not an expert on those issues. It's true. I mean, I'm not. I can. I did research before this. It's the, depression has never been measured by anything besides people talking about it. All right. right? There's no way to measure it. Unlike basically every other <clears throat> disease. There's no but again, imbalance. But again, if you're unable to function because there's this thing that's weighing you down and making you depressed, how is that not, by your definition, a disease? Because anything, any time that you aren't able to function doesn't mean that you're a disease. I mean, there's a certain amount of self-control and self-free um, will. That comes into your ability to function or not function. And simply because you feel bad doesn't mean that you can't function. And treating it as a disease actually has the exact opposite effect that it it should. You know, it, it ends up making it worse and worse and worse forever until, you know, you're so medicated that then you really, then you do have a disease because you have so much chemicals in your system all the time that you end up breaking down. So your your thing is that somebody who's going through a bout of severe depression where they are in bed and upset, uh, irritable, unable to feel like getting up and doing anything, that is entirely something that they can control or should be able no, to. No, absolutely not. And again, that's why I'm not saying that depression isn't a real condition. It is a real condition. It's something people go through. You know, your, your, your boyfriend breaks up with you and you really loved him and it's really bad. And you go through days where you can't do anything. That's depression. That's real. I'm not saying that's not real. What I'm saying is it's not a disease. You aren't afflicted with some bodily malfunction. Your body is working the way it's supposed to work. But not, 
that that's a specific thing that's that's not always tied to an incident happening it is though and it is tied that's okay here here's the crux depression is always tied to a condition that you are in it is not a chemical imbalance if you are feeling that badly there is a reason for that and it's up to you to either get past it feel it be depressed be malfunctioning for a little while, but then figure out the reason. Whereas what depression does is it allows people to escape the reason and it gives them a answer that's not real, which is this is a chemical imbalance, which has never, they can measure chemicals in the brain, but they have never been able to consistently measure a chemical imbalance in somebody. What's your source for that for people that are curious? I have many. I have many sources. It would be interesting to get a person with depression Here, who claims to have it. This is from an article that was written in the American Psychological Association or APA, whatever that is, dot com. It says, the final problem is one of evidence. If low serotonin levels are responsible for a depressed mood, then we should be able to induce depression in people by decreasing serotonin. And we should find low levels of serotonin in patients with depression. But neither of those things exist. Decreasing in serotonin in humans can lower your mood, but it doesn't always work. And studies looking for low serotonin in depressed patients have been inconclusive. Yeah, so I mean, it's the, the idea that it's a chemical imbalance just isn't the case. It's not real. It's not true, you know? And so we have this idea that it is. And I'm listening. My argument for why is if you look at the larger power structure of our society, if you believe that. Power relies on control and that power ultimately seeks total control. What better way to convince people that the society they live in isn't making them unhappy and that they aren't enslaved in the society that they're in than by giving them drugs that make them feel like everything is okay and telling them that if they are unhappy, it's not the society it's them and that they have a disease. And I get this idea uh, a lot from, have you ever read Ted Kaczynski's manifesto? I'm familiar with it, but not, I haven't read it in, in detail. It's called uh, Industrial Society and Its Future. And Ted Kaczynski is the Unabomber, for those who don't know. And he was a genius. He was a child genius. He went to Berkeley and he became a professor was widely regarded as, you know, a, a top economic thinker. Then he disappeared into the forest and started sending people bombs. And all the people he was bombing for the most part were people who were like tearing down the rare rainforest and stuff like that. But he also, I'm not, I'm not saying what he did was right, you know, but his, his manifesto. I like that you have to clarify. Well, it's, you know, I, That's I do the think. the world Isaac Simpson lives in. I know. I do think in the future, Ted Kaczynski will be, and he already has been by some, even like major academics. I think he will be thought of as like an early revolutionary. Okay. Like far in the future, he will be a hero. I really do believe that. But uh, his manifesto, you know, kind of is all about how 
the way society works now is we are given these surrogate activities. We're totally not free. And we're given these surrogate activities to do to simulate the feeling of freedom. And none of them are real. And ultimately, like a whale in SeaWorld or like a rat in a experiment, we start to get despair. We start to slowly erode into despair because we're so not free to do anything. And society has to deal with that. And the way they deal with that, one of the major ways they deal with that is through uh, medication, mass medication of society. What is your personal depression experience? Well, this anecdote that you... All right. So my I have both my parents have had clinical mania or depression. My mom was treated with lithium. My father has been taking antidepressants for his entire life. So I've seen it very up close and personal. And I've seen, you know, my mom really had a total, total breakdown. I mean, a total manic episode where she was completely out there, right? And they had to give her lithium to come back from it. Personally, I haven't been diagnosed with depression, but I haven't diagnosed with clinical anxiety, right? Yeah. So I've had pills for that. I've never taken them, but I've been diagnosed with it and I've really been down that rabbit hole, you know, in, in the worst possible sense. And I've been in that place of anxiety where I feel like there's no help. Like I can't get past this. It's just stuck. My brain's stuck and I can't feel better no matter what I do. Yeah. I've been through that. But getting to the other side of that and understanding what I needed to learn through that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And if I had instead been like, oh, there's nothing, you know, there's no lesson here. There's nothing wrong. There's no larger reason I'm feeling this way. If I'd been like that and just been like, oh, I'm sick. I have a cold. I have a cut. And let me take these drugs and feel better. That would have been the worst thing I could have ever done. You know? So that's kind of my uh, feelings. on. So your feeling is... Your feeling about depression is not based on any depressive episode that you've gone through. Because that would be more interesting to me. Uh, It would be interesting to me to have somebody on who would take the opposite point and is diagnosed clinically depressed. Because I'm not that person. I've never had any mental illness diagnosis, although we have that in my family. Uh, There's a person in my family who was diagnosed as bipolar and they've had manic and depressive episodes. So, I mean, I guess my, my thing is like neither one of us have any kind of depression experience. Anxiety is very similar to depression though. In terms of the clinical diagnosis, I mean, it's, it's, it's twin, you know, it's almost the same. And your philosophy is basically that it's entirely related to something external going on in their life that they need to work their way around. I don't even think it's external, man. I mean, it's not, it's not, the solution to my problem wasn't external. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I just need to uh, do this. Something that was causing your anxiety that you identified and you were able to get through. Well, let me tell you what the solution to mine was. Okay. The solution to mine was, I used to be the kind of person that was extremely competitive with my fellow people. And I was so competitive socially that every morning, and this is actually really true, 
every morning after I would go out, because I wanted to go out because I wanted to get girls and I wanted to be cool, right? I would wake up and I would spend about an hour cringing at the things I had done the night before. Like I would run through everything that happened and I would run through every mistake and I would cringe and be like, oh, you're such an idiot. Like, why would you say that? Why would you do this? Why would you, et cetera. Getting through that anxiety, when I had the really bad anxiety, it was that times a thousand. So everything I was doing, when I was seeing red and I took myself to the hospitals a bunch of times, when I was seeing red all the time, Every little thing was like that. And I wasn't able to enjoy life at all. I couldn't enjoy a movie. I couldn't sit down and enjoy anything. I, I literally had anhedonia, which means you can't enjoy life. Right. And I had that for three months. That was months. the original title of Annie Hall. Really? Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I couldn't enjoy anything at all. I love the useless contributions I'm making. No, that's good. Actually, that's interesting. I wonder why it was titled that. But uh, ultimately, getting over that, I think was becoming an adult and recognizing that I couldn't control people's opinions of me. You know, like, like what people thought about me was not something I control, could control as hard as I wanted to control it. And eventually letting go of that and really being like, hey, you know what? I'm me fully. And if I say something weird to somebody, or if I'm an asshole, or if somebody doesn't like me, that's just going to fucking happen. And I'm just going to do what I want from here on out. Like, I'm going to just be me fully. And that's why I kind of think it goes back to your thing a little bit about the fear of blacking out and the fear of letting that other side of you out. It was like, I had that same thing. It's not a fear. I just don't want it to happen. Yeah, you just, whatever. And that's fine. Now, look, I'm not trying to undermine your reality. I'm but just you, saying... But you often want to prescribe behavior in other people and in a way that you just kind of assume, I know what you need to do. But for me, since we're talking about that, it's about me controlling my behavior. I want to be in control of what I'm doing. I don't ever want someone to say something to me, you did this, and me not to know the reason that I did that. That's very unsettling for me to do. So to 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 be in this situation where I have all my inhibitions lowered and I'm just blah, all over the place, that's it's not misery keeping myself away from that. That's but doesn't it separate you from people? What does what separate from me from people? It separates when you are constantly operating when you are constantly in control of the way other people are seeing you i'm not it's not that i'm in control of the way other people are seeing me well if you're it's constantly I'm in, in control con of the way that i'm deciding to deal with other people but the whole point of that is so they will perceive you in a certain way that has less to do with that than just me not making other people uncomfortable all right so he, there it is so if you are constantly attempting to act a certain way so that other people won't feel this way or be this way or something, aren't you separating yourself from them at some level? And I think that that's... No. I think you are because you're, you're, you're operating. I'm not operating. I'm, I'm just existing as the human being that I am. But you are plotting you're 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 acting in a certain way on purpose right 
Uh, it depends on the social situation, I think. And there's obvious there's social social rituals uh, that vary depending on what you're doing. If you're in a casual environment, it's one thing. If you're in a job interview, it's a different kind of. Ritual. And you want to get those rituals right. Uh, I want to get the rituals as right as I want to get them. I want to do as much as I'm willing to do. I don't have any need to. You're kind of positing this this idea that there's some inner self that I'm separating from the world, but that's not the case at all. Is that as I've gotten older, I've actually gotten much more comfortable in myself. I would agree. And so what does that mean then? When you say I've gotten more comfortable in myself, what does that mean? That means that the, the way that I behave and the things that I want to do, I'm more comfortable doing them and less worried about their ramifications socially. But isn't that what we're talking about? I mean, you're saying that no, you what are you're talking about, about the is being under the influence of a drug or alcohol and behaving in a way that's connected to that. And you're acting like that's some true expression, whereas I feel like you're just under the influence of a substance, which so I like being. I like getting a little drunk. I don't like the idea of not having ultimate control of what I'm doing or saying to people. So you don't think that when you're drunk, there's an expression of that inner you that you became more comfortable with well, over there's different, time? There's different variances of drunk. There's, you know, there's buzzed, there's pretty sloshed, but still sober. And then there's over the moon where you're acting like a, a lunatic and you don't have any, your, your brain that is able to adjudicate what you're saying and doing and making evaluations as to its social acceptability or your own personal acceptability. Uh, when I, the last time I was blacked out, I was kissing everyone on the mouth or the face that I was nearby. That's not acceptable at all. <laughs> that I don't ever want to do. So. Why not? Uh, you just, it's, um, you don't, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be that close physically with people. And I don't want people having to put up with my, my presence in that way. It's gross. Well, I guess the bottom line here is when you're drunk, are you acting more like you or are you acting less like you? I'm acting less like me. Because you is your control of your actions. Yes. Yeah. That's you. Yes. I'm all about control. See, I think you or me is a blend of those things. I think me is a blend of my ability to control my actions and the rest, right? And and the part that wants to kiss people on the mouth. Or for me, it would be, you know, I don't know, say really, really awkward things to people, you know? That those are necessary. They need each other. You know, I, I need if I were to completely tamp down that side of me that just wants to say the exact thing you're not supposed to say all the time, that wouldn't be me. Right. I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be myself. I agree. Right. And so I think I used to worry so much about that thing in me because I wanted to be popular and I wanted to be successful. Yet it was there and I couldn't really ever control it, you know? And I think coming to terms with all those sides of yourself is kind of the answer sometimes to these states of depression or anxiety that we get into. 
And it's, I don't even know if it's your soul or your mind or something telling you you're on the wrong, you're thinking about this wrong. You're thinking about the world wrong. Like either you're, obviously this hasn't happened to you. So your balance of your brain, not chemically, but emotionally is clearly, it works. Well, I've had... This is, I wish I wish somebody with depression was involved in this discussion because I really hate the idea of talking about something that affects people by two people that it doesn't affect. That's my concern with this conversation. But I think that your points are all interesting. I don't. Think, well, what do you think about what do you think about this? Let me. Read I don't think that you're. Stuff. I don't think that you're. Uh, you're not saying what I expected you to say, which is just, hey, we just need to snap out of it and toughen up. I'm glad that it's, it's more nuanced. My perspective is more of the societal control. I get it. I understand. You know, and let me just read you this b- briefly, and you can cut this if you want. But let me just read you this. Read uh, it into the microphone. Uh, I will. I'm going to read you this Kaczynski quote. Imagine a society that subjects people to conditions that make them terribly unhappy, then gives them drugs to take away their unhappiness. Science fiction... It's already happening to some extent in our own society. And he wrote this in, what, 96? Yep. Uh, it is well known that the rate of clinical depression has been gla- greatly increasing in recent decades. We've believed that is due to the disruption of the power process, as explained in, okay, blah, blah, blah. But even if we are wrong, the increasing rate of depression is certainly the result of some conditions that exist in today's society. Instead of removing the conditions that make people t- depressed... Modern society gives them antidepressant drugs. In effect, in effect, antidepressants are a mean of, means of modifying an individual's internal state in such a way as to enable them to tolerate social conditions that would otherwise be intolerable. And then he says, yes, we know some depression is purely genetic. We're referring to the cases where the environment plays a role. And then he says, drugs, the, that the effect, drugs that affect the mind are one example of the new methods of controlling human behavior that modern society is developing. I 100% agree that we over-medicate people. You won't find any disagreement on that front from me. I think we over-medicate children especially. When getting back yeah. to summer camp, which we've talked about, or yeah. maybe we haven't yet, depending <laughs> on how the order we post these in. Uh, I'd I'd see that I'd see uh, kids that would come in and they have all these things that they're on, and the only problem with them is that they're a nine year old boy, yeah, who is not going to be focused and uh, attentive all the time. You know, boys and girls, they f- they function differently as children. It's part of being a child is is that you know you're going to be all over the place a lot of the time. I, I'm not. I, you won't find any disagreement from the fact that we overmedicate, and I think that we overdiagnose certain things. I found that uh, this wasn't removing societal thing, but I found that in myself. I used to be, I used to swing a lot between irritability and what I perceived as a little bit of depression, and I've eliminated that uh, mainly by increasing physical activity because we know physical activity tends to increase your endorphin level. Blah 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 blah. So I've seen that in myself. I've seen the ability to kind of change things. Um, I don't think that everybody is ADD or ADHD. I don't think that everybody that thinks they're a little depressed is depressed, certainly. Um, I, my, my issue is that I don't know that that's a one-size-fits-all for everybody. I think there are people that have processing problems um, that are very 
that affect them in ways that can't be fixed just by changing perspective or changing social controls. But I'm not. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, this is my issue though. Is like I don't have that. I, I've never had a severe depressive episode. I've never had it. I've never had a severe anxiety episode. I don't have those things in my life. So, and I hesitate to to sit, to agree with you 100%. I think that you're saying a lot of things that are true. But I, I don't want to discount when people tell you that they're having this depressive experience that you can't discount it 100% if they're saying there's no reason for it. That's one. I think even Kaczynski agrees with you here that, you know, but there's some people that are genetically, you know, maybe have some type of actual illness in their brain. Right. right. Fine. Maybe there's a tiny percentage of people that have just looking at other mental illnesses. Do you believe schizophrenia is real? Well, that's a tough one, right? Because schizophrenia also is not measurable in the brain. You can't measure it. Do you believe bipolar disorder is real? Well, it's real. You know, I've seen it. I've seen it, you know, again, my mother had a textbook mania episode. Yeah. You know, textbook. And it was induced by a lot of different things, including other drugs, you know? Not, I mean, including medicated drugs, right? But do I think that it's a... It's a condition, but I don't think that it's uh Okay, it's hard to... Okay, how do I say this? What I'm concerned with is that society, when those things happen, is so interested in telling you that it's your fault. Agreed. Yeah, that I agree. You know, that there is something wrong with you. Whereas what happened to my mom was a combination of personal factors... And the fact that she had four different existing psychiatrists that were giving her all kinds of disconnected drugs that weren't helping. And that she had a massive surgery where that doctor wasn't connected with these six other doctors. Right. So she was on 17 different pills and she had some bad shit happen. Nothing like that bad, but like she had some, you know, bad career shit happen. And it just led her to a mania condition, which is real. But I don't think that it's, oh, she has bipolar disease. Right. You, you know, know it's, it's interesting to say that because the person in my family, I don't want to, I feel uncomfortable saying who it is in my case because I don't want to air their business, but I can talk Fine. generally. The person in my family who was bipolar, the onset was they'd had back surgery. Yes, exact and same. And their mother died. And then at, they had this manic episode mm-hmm. and I have communicates from them during this time and it's not the normal person that's talking absolutely it's a stranger it's a stranger no so me too exactly she had surgery and was right into it i agree and uh yeah i think i think your perspective is interesting i i would i'd really like to do a follow-up where we talk to somebody who's clinically depressed and and get their perspective because that's the thing I think is missing from this. I understand you had an, an well, anxiety all they're going to say though. I mean, there's really nothing that they can say, right? I mean, the the thing that they can say, it, even I, online, the only thing they can say is, "I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I feel so bad." Right? But I'd like to. I th- I think they're they're they'd have an interesting color to the conversation. Maybe I just don't know that there's that much. I mean, I think if you're, I taking, think one of the things that you do is you don't when people tell you things about things that they're experiencing or perceiving uh you don't 
always take that as what it is. Maybe that's this, true. We had the this empathy, discussion, right? The lack of empathy. Well, we had this discussion, yeah, when it comes to uh, catcalling and shit. We had the whole thing. Is one of my things is that I tr- when people tell me stuff about stuff they're experiencing, I try to listen and and take them at their word. I don't think people t- are telling me stuff in bad faith, and sometimes I think I don't think depressed people are telling me stuff in bad. No, faith but I would at be, all somebody that goes through depressive episodes. I would be interested in hearing from. I'm just saying in personal, this. All right, in the cat calling case, f- fine, right. I'll I'll agree with you that it's like yeah if if I'm saying oh it's not that big a deal yeah. and they're saying it really sucks pay attention yeah and I'm saying get over it yeah then I'm being lack of empathy this does not apply to this case though because I'm not saying people that are depressed aren't depressed I'm not saying you're not feeling terribly all the time I'm not saying that well I'm, I'm what I'm saying is that the reason for that that is fed to you. Is or the reason for that that society attributes to you in terms of a solution yeah. is fake, is not real. Well, I, and it's there for control. I'm not disagreeing with you on any specific instance, but it would be I would be curious to hear from somebody who would who could say, you know, there's no greater reason for this thing that I'm having. I'm having these depressive uh episodes in my life and I don't know where it's coming from and I don't have any control over it. And I'd like to hear about that experience. Well, it's like, okay, I went to the screening of um, the movie about, what's his face? David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Right? And the screenwriter was there. Yeah. And I asked him a question. I said- You're causing trouble at the screening. I said, <laughs> so what was it? Just depression or something? I, I asked him a question trying to be like, why did he kill himself? Yeah. You know? And I said, what is it? Just depression? I like, and I said, just not because I was trying to minimize it, but just because I was trying to understand it. And he got mad and he stopped me and he said, just depression. It's not just depression, man. Like depression is a disease. It is a disease that you have. And there was nothing he could do about it. Right. As if he went to the Congo and got malaria and that's what killed him. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not interested in hearing from somebody that wants to shut the conversation yeah. down. I don't want that. You know, I'm not in favor of, of that kind of talk. But to have somebody that would kind of, you know, provide a counterpoint. Well, we don't. <laughs> so that's, we know, might as well. If, if, if anybody listens and they have, they're depressed and they would want to add flavor to what we're talking about, it's really interesting in having a follow-up. But all the points that you read, there's no point that you've raised that isn't something that bears interest to me. I just feel I feel weird because I don't have any real other than the connection within my family, which is different. It's not strictly depression. There's you know manic episodes tied in there too. Yeah, I don't have that personal experience to to say one way or the other. I'm pretty healthy in mental illness wise. I mean, I have my you know everybody has their bugaboos, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting point that you raise everybody should read the unabomber's manifesto they actually really so it's it's very i mean parts of it are very weird but uh it's one of the most impactful things i've read in the past two or three years because it's just so so foreign and and this guy is truly he's a genius i mean you there's no other way to put it than he's a he's a genius even by society's standards and that he felt that he had no other way 
then to disappear into the woods and truly disconnect and then and and become a you know what are the structural things in place that you think make people unhappy what is okay well that's something he that's basically the thrust of the whole his whole manifesto so for him it's about surrogate activities so our life is built up life common survival has become so easy that we have filled our lives with surrogate activities. So skiing, trying to do really well at your job, all these things are non-independent acts that rely on the system that mimic the feeling of independent survival. But fundamentally, what human beings need is independent challenges. So mankind, men or women, I, you know, he doesn't really touch. I don't know if he distinguishes between men and women, but men need to strive for independent survival, right? To build our own world in our own way, in our own environment, right? And it can't be connected to this food train <laughs> that is society, right? What do you mean by food train? You know, this, this buffet that society provides us with. This, this buffet of need satisfaction that we get for participating in society, right? And over time and time and time and time, I mean, it used to be, right, that you could go off with your friends or by yourself or whatever and make a go of it. I mean, you could go move by the river, build a hut, and that's it. I mean, you could try and make a go yeah. of life. Whereas the ability to do that is essentially gone. I mean, you can't actually do that anymore. There's nowhere to go. So in that's why he calls it industrial society in its future is we've become closer to bacteria or closer to some other type of organism than a independent monkey thing where we have all of our needs taken care of and the psychological necessity of independence and strength is eroded because independence is a threat to society. So if you have an independent human being, that's an automatic threat. So what society wants is more dependence, more dependence, more dependence. And uh, I think if you look around that, if you look at the message, if you look at the messages we receive, it does all kind of equate to dependence on society. Be a part of the wheel, you know, be a part of the cog. And uh, I think that makes a lot of people unhappy. Internally, right? Without them knowing it in a lot of cases. I think that it's hard for them to tell what is causing them pain, you know? I, I definitely agree that we have, a, we have these things that we tell people that they need to be doing. And that's why there is a lot of unhappiness. My thing is, is you know, less pervasive. I always, I'm amazed at how many people get pushed into getting married and having kids and making that decision to do so in your 20s. Like, 
one of the things that I value about California, especially having lived in North Carolina, where all of my friends are, are fucking married, married and yeah. have kids and did so in their mid twenties, is that you may not that may not be what you want to do. And and to live in this world where you're chained to these other people when you've you've made that decision to do it mainly because you were pressured to is insane to me. It's completely bananas. Yeah. And I think particularly from a female perspective. What do you mean? I mean, I think they have a lot of pressure. Yes. You know, to oh, do that. A huge amount. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've really valued about my parents is that they never put any of that expectation on me. They yeah. didn't have any role for me to fill. They just said, just go do things that make you happy and we'll be uh, proud of you for doing them. Yeah. And that was very freeing. And I see a lot of my friends. I'm just like, I don't fucking know what you're going to do with yourself. What are you doing? Like, I don't, you know, you've, you've changed yourself in a prison for the next however many years. And some people are fine with it. That's what they want to do. They want to raise kids and they want to be a husband or wife or whatever. Yeah, but do they? I mean, I don't I don't know. I think if some they people do. do, but I don't think as many do as we try to push into as doing. As we try to make do. It. And that's yeah. what I love about California is nobody gives a shit if I'm married or no. has kids. Like nobody cares. It's not it's not a thrust that's important here. But where I was from where I lived forever I was always getting into my mid twenties, and people were like, "So when are you going to settle down?" You know, yeah, very creepy. I read a really cool uh, David Sedaris piece in the New Yorker recently about gay marriage, mm -hmm. and he was like, "The whole point of me being gay was that I didn't have to get married." <laughs> you know, like that—that that was the whole point. Well, and now that that's become so mainstream, now I have all this pressure to do it, and it's like. He's doing it, but he was, I mean, David Sarris is great, but yeah. he, uh, you know, he's saying like, it feels like I'm betraying the whole rebellious, re it was like, you know, a big part of my identity was that I was a rebel. Yeah, you were you know, yeah, yeah, standard you're heterosexual, it. exactly. whatever. And now it's like, now we have to get married. And now it's like, what the hell? Why do I have to do this? You know? One of my favorite things I ever wrote was a sketch and it's no longer valid. But it was written right after Prop 8 passed, and it's this gay couple, and they're in California. And uh, one, of them's like, one of them's like, oh, my God, Prop 8 passed. We're never going to get married. And the other one's like, oh, no, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Whatever are we going to do? Uh, yeah. He's like, well, we could move to a state where it's legal. It's like, no, we should fight for it here. Let's stay here and make sure, it, you know. Yeah. That was one of my favorite. Because I think there's a faction in the gay community that's like, you know, why are we taking this heterosexual norm and making it this thing that we're striving for? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's shades of there's, there's, well, and if we process that through the perspective of power yeah. and control, power wants homosexuality, right? Because homosexuality is population reduction. Right. Whereas they also want marriage because marriage is order. Yeah. So gay marriage is the perfect mainstream <laughs> thing because it's like, be gay all you want, but you gotta you gotta fit into this. Yeah. This order, right? You can't be out there doing whatever you want. Yeah, that's the that's the the end of what you were talking about, kind of in general. That I've always been very puzzled by is we put so much. We do this in a lot of different ways. We we do it to kids. They're just coming out of high school and we're like, okay, 
this is the most important thing that you're going to do. If you don't go to college now, you are a loser. Your life forever. is going to be ruined. Yeah. And that's a lie. Total. Lie. That's a total. If I had kids now and he was and, and my son or daughter was like, I don't know if I want to go to college right now. I kind of want to do my own thing. I'd be like, do whatever the fuck you Good. want. Yeah. yeah. Do what you want. Don't fucking build up debt. Yeah. Just work and learn how to be an adult and figure it out. You want to go to school, you can. And that's yeah. a horrible lie that we've told generations of kids is that yeah. if you don't go to school you are a failure yeah it's yeah. over your life is fucking over yeah it's and not because it's not okay to just go be a fucking yeah. you know farmer or not not a farmer obviously that was a terrible example but you know a laborer <laughs> in some way you know and, and live a good life or just learn how to just learn you know instead of instead of both focusing on this educate i wish i'd never gone to me college too. When oh I did. my god i would uh, the time for me to have gone to college was like my mid-20s that would have been perfect. Because you would have really had hunger for it. And I would have really, been right. Yeah, I've been, been like, I've been yeah. living on my own. I've been paying rent. I've been working. It's time for me to kind of advance my skill base. Yeah. That would have been perfect. And you would have enjoyed it. Yeah, for me exactly. to go to NYU when I was 18 years old, yeah. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is a waste of... of and all, it, all we use it for is fucking around. I mean, like, I... I heard you talk about this on your last one, and you and LaCalcy or whatever agreed that, you know, we shouldn't have gone to NYU when we did. And I agree. I mean, I think it's, what do we use it for? I mean, 99% of us use it to live in a paradise of no responsibility and free access to women and drugs, you know, and alcohol. It's like the... It's just a playground. You mean while we're there at school? Yeah, it's a playground the thing of that, nothingness. The thing that makes me crazy, and I don't know if I've told this story before, so tell me if I've repeated myself because I do that. I had I used to work at Hustler TV. Hustler? Yeah. Really? You didn't know that? I was the marketing manager at Hustler TV. I did not know that. Yeah, I worked there for quite a few years. And this one year here? we- Here? What do you mean here? In LA? Yeah. Oh, at, wow. In the building. At a, in the building. In a building. In the LFP building. Larry Flint. Oh, and Larry Flint. Okay, okay. And uh, we had, we were hiring a QC operator for the channel. And the QC operators for porn channels are only looking for sex acts that need to be cut. <laughs> so they make notes about, oh, there's 20 minutes of anal in the scene. <laughs> too, much, too many minutes of anal. Well, because there's a whole reason for that. But So there's this QC position that was open. And we had this intern that had worked for us. And he was super enthusiastic about working for Hustler. You know, most people that work in QC positions are frustrated editors or just other malcontents. They're not happy with their job. This guy would have been perfect. He would have been his dream. And I'm like, let's just hire this fucking intern we had. Let's just get him in there. And the HR person is like, but he doesn't have a college degree. I'm like, what does God. he need the college degree for? <laughs> he's watching he's porn. Watching all day. porn. And, and I'm like, this guy couldn't be any better. He's going to come to work every day. He's going to love it. It's going to be the thrill of his life. And she's like, well, our standard is they have to have oh a college degree. God. And I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind yeah. to have that attitude. That's what does he need that insane. for? It's a bureau. It's like a bureaucratic nightmare. It's like a, it's so funny that all these hypercapitalists are so terrified of like the socialist communist nightmare. And that is the socialist communist nightmare. Like, no, you need to have this check. Yeah, these papers. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you need have, to, your papers. Yeah. You know, yeah. Give, give he doesn't have papers. That's yeah, great. Yeah, if yeah. you're under the, <laughs> nobody listening to this is under the age of 25. But if you are, 
you know, just think about calling. Think about maybe not going right away. Yeah, and the debt is the the opposite. I mean, I don't know if you saw this thing recently that came out, and it was like, of course, such a mainstream thing. It was like whole class of kids in Compton, a hundred percent college acceptance rate for the seventh year in a row. Yeah, and it's like. First of all, I used to work at one of those colleges in the hood in D.C. as a after-school philosophy teacher during college. And 80% of these kids were going to get into a college, go for one day, and then be in debt for an entire semester, and then drop out and do whatever the fuck they wanted to do, yeah. right? Anybody can get into a college if you're advisor is applying to college for you, which is the point of these college prep high schools, right? They're magnet schools that they're like, we guarantee your child will get into college. Right. So they apply for the kids. And then it becomes a heroic story because, oh, these kids from the ghetto, they're all getting into college every year. Yes. And they're getting into bullshit community college that will let anybody in. And then they're in debt. Yeah. So they're getting like triple fucked over right. for the kid, for the sake of saying like these kids got in college, got into yeah. college, you know. That's like a shell game of yeah. It's a shell game of debt, and yeah. and the answer is oh, but you know yeah, there'll be a couple that'll that'll shine through, and it's yeah. like yeah, but those kids would have shined through anyway. You know, right. you didn't need to make it all the rest of them go into debt for this. No, I, I I'm I'm on board with you on quite a few things about social control. We have a lot of things that we kind of expect people to do that we that just isn't right for them but there's not a one size fits all for every person in the country one well, and, and there's like no there it, it used to be free you used to have freedom i mean you used to be able to say no i'm not going to you know like what do you i'm mean, not going to participate i mean i think america is the frontier what we're built on is this idea that you can carve out your little corner yes here right and have your weird religion and whatever your weird little society is. I mean, right. that's the American – it's not really the American dream in terms of the 50 cents, but it's the American ideal. And that's gone. I mean, that's totally gone. You can't do that anymore. Now we have very staunch social rules of things you have to do. Well, you in order to get ahead, and you can't go have your own little world. You can, but you have to do it. You you pretty much have to be in the right environment to do it in. Like what? I mean, I don't even think the the privileged people can do it. I mean, what can they do? What can you do? What do you mean? What can you do? I mean, what are your options in this society? You don't really have any. You know, I mean, you can basically compete on one ladder. You've got one ladder to compete on. And there's a bunch of little sub ladders, you know, on that one ladder, but you can't start your own world, really. I mean, you can't really be independent. I don't know. What do you, what is, what do you mean by you can't be independent? Like, well, can you be independent in this society or economy? I mean, I think, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible to be completely independent but i think a lot of channels for those that were open in the past have closed because we tell a lot of lies to young people 
That's what the problem is. We tell people you have to go to college. It's good if you get married and have kids and you need to do it at this age. Uh, and we don't let people take risks. And the other thing that we're doing is we're, we're creating this generation of kids that we don't teach about risk taking yeah. because we're, because the parents have been so socially told that they've got to be on top of their kids from birth to 18. You know, we can't have anything go wrong. Your kid, uh, if he doesn't get straight A's in high school, it's fucking over. Yeah. If your kid doesn't get straight A's in middle school, it's over. That's what I'm saying. It's one, there's one ladder, you know? And the kid who is totally outside of that gets medicated. You know, and, and it, it, it we're so afraid of risk-taking. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, that's a big part of the whole, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the MGTOW sort of red pill movement, but... Uh, oh, my God. All right. <laughs> no, but, but risk aversion. I just wrote an article about this. That's why I, like, know a lot about it. By MGTOW, you mean men going their own way, yeah, right? Yeah, men going their red own pilling. way. Yeah, and well, red pill is separate than MGTOW. And okay. I would say the red pill guys actually look down on the MGTOW guys. But MGTOW is basically a group of men who have decided to check out from the system, right? They're actually pretty Kaczynski-esque. There's four levels of MGTOWism, and the fourth level of MGTOWism is basically like go live in a shack in the woods and completely unplug from all economy, right? Okay. The lower levels are I'm not going to date, I'm not going to deal with women, you know. But what is that? What does that have? What is the women thing? That's that's where I hear about those things and I'm like, there's a there's, there's something hatred else here. There's something else yeah. going on. There is. There is. I you know, for this article I just wrote that's coming out soon. I think it's animals. fine if you want to go out and live in the woods. Totally sure. I'm on board. But the weird like woman hating. The woman thing, thing yeah. is is strange to me. But, so I talked to two of these guys, yeah. right, for this article I wrote that's coming out in this magazine called Animals in August. It's very long. It's a very long piece. It's called Male Sexuality Approaching the Singularity. Yeah. And uh, so I talked to two of them and they were like yin and yang of MGTOW. Like one of them was super positive. He was like, look, I don't hate women at all. I just like to mentor men. Men are tamped down from birth because they have risk-taking behavior and society hates risk-taking. So they're medicated. They're given bad grades. They're you know, ostracized for being, having natural male tendencies from birth. And I just want to return mentorship to men being men, right? Totally a good guy. Didn't hate women at all. Was kind of checked out from women, but was not interested in hating them. And the well, other- guy, checked out from women? What does that mean? Well, the, it's kind of like what you're saying about marriage, right? They're saying that the dating game is sort of this intrinsic method of control, Right. And that they're just not going to play. They're not going to play the game. You know, they, they view, think that men have been, masculinity has been denigrated so much and hated on and and is hated so much that they're just not going to play this game. Right? Okay. The other guy was like an angry, angry, angry guy. He's trying to fuck and nobody's fucking. More, I mean, I don't want to say that about him because, you know, he would disagree with that. Okay. But he was clearly very, very furious at women. Right? Mm -hmm. And his whole thing was like, 
if we're on a desert island and men build everything and then the women are saying they're oppressed because men built everything you know his thing was like female oppression is a myth uh I've dated women and all they care about is money, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I think there's two sides. You know, I mean, there, there is a lot of anger yeah. in that movement. But there's also a lot of interesting thoughts. Um, the point is that... Uh, what's the point? You were what? telling me about MGTOWs and red pills. Yeah, why? Uh, talking about social control marriage this kind of development of of figures that are going the Kaczynski route yeah uh, I guess it's just there's a men's rights movement out there or there's men's centric thinking out there that has a lot of these things and MGTOW is basically withdrawing from involvement with women oh yeah so MGTOW is men going their own way which is basically saying I'm going to check out of the male-female relationship dynamic and just try and better myself. Okay. And and red pilling is? Red pill is a much more complex. So red pill is sort of a hybrid between... And it's, pick- a, it's a metaphor from the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a hybrid between pickup artists and this more MGTOW men's rights type thinking. And it's sort of like uh, everything you've been taught about male-female relationships is a lie. And that actually things are completely the opposite of of what you've been taught. You know, that everybody, a lot of the guys are sort of ex-nerds yeah. who believed in this. If I'm a really good guy, I'm going to get the princess, right? I'm going to get, if I'm a really good guy, a girl is going to really like me back because I'm a good guy and I treat people well and I do the right thing. And their basic thing is that that's not true and that women don't like men who are just nice guys. Like you have to be an alpha male to attract women. Those those two, I'm so fascinated by those groups. I am too. They're, they're <laughs> fat. I don't agree with most of what they're talking about. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of weirdness there that's in there but the the whole like i'm a nice guy thing has that completely opposite thing because on the other side there's women that talk about nice guys um and how being a nice guy does not qualify you for sex and that seems to be the expectation that nice guys typically have is that i'm nice therefore i get to put it in you I think it's I'm nice and therefore I get one, right? I get my one woman. I think that's the belief. Right. And I think that used to be true. And I've, So that's the part I like about the Red Bull. I also agree that there is a lot of hatred, right? And I don't subscribe to that, you know? But there is some very interesting thinking, that goes on there about male-female relationships and how they've changed. Mm-hmm. And I think we're talking about marriage. Marriage is an organizing principle in society. And what marriage takes care of is the 80% of guys that women aren't really attracted to because they're not successful. They're just ordinary schlubs. 
and the women who are over a certain age that the men aren't attracted to anymore. And what it does is it takes those two groups and lashes them together. Right. So that they're not so pissed off that they tear down society. Right. So that's society's built on that one to one. It's like a one to one relationship thing. It takes us out of this state of nature where there's alpha males. So in the state, like in, in early primitive societies, 20% of men reproduced and 80% of women did. What does that mean? So archaeological evidence shows that in very primitive human societies, only 20% of men oh, reproduced got it. while okay. 80% of women did. Got it, got it, got it. And what that suggests is that women mate for whatever status. They want to incubate the best sperm, right? Whereas men sort of spray the sperm everywhere. We don't necessarily, we're not quite as choosy in terms of the mates. So what that leads is to a very animalistic thing where there's alpha men that have like four or five women, right? In their own little world. And the rest of the men are shit out of luck. But then they, if we want to build society, they just keep killing everybody because they're so pissed off that they don't have anything, right? So marriage solves that problem because it gives everybody one. And that's why there's so much pressure to get married. Whereas now what the red pill would argue is that through birth control, through all these different mechanisms of technology, that relationship has been undermined from the female perspective because women don't need to mate one-to-one anymore. They can mate with whoever. So they have a huge amount of choice, an overabundance of choice, which, you know, dating apps, everything like that, they can always be searching for the next alpha male. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to worry about getting pregnant. They can just be with whoever seems the best in that moment. So I think that that's interesting. I think that that's a very interesting economic model to look at mating from, you know? Yeah, yeah that stuff is, is fascinating to me. The whole discussion is, I'm, I'm a step removed, but I love hearing about it because the sides are so, they talk past each other. There's no coming in the middle, really. Just, Literally, yeah. What What do you mean? <laughs> what What do you mean? There's no coming in the middle. Anytime I hear these discussions, each side has an answer for the other that doesn't address what the first one was talking about. Because one side will say, "Well, nice, you know, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy," and the other side will say, "Well, that doesn't mean I fuck you, because I have a choice because I'm a woman." And then the other guys don't hear that. And they go on to some other thing about alpha males. You're only attracted to alpha males or you have to be a dick to get a woman. Don't you think that that's somewhat true though? Not you don't have to be, but don't, don't you think that women are attracted to a small percentage of men? I mean, I, again, uh, this is a conversation that could do with the presence of the woman. thing being yeah, talked about. Yeah. I don't, I think one of the th- interesting thing a woman told me once was because I have this, I'm trying to work on this bit about how the friend zone doesn't exist and how there's only the fuck zone. Hmm. Um, what, how does that go? Well, it's not formed and it's garbage, <laughs> but it's basically that the friend zone is a male creation that 
men think they've been put in the friend zone by women. But what actually happens is women have a very small fuck zone. And that's, they immediately make a decision about whether or not they're going to fuck a guy within, a, you know, meeting them. And that's what a woman confirmed for me. She's like, I know if I'm ever going to sleep with a guy seconds after talking to him. Hmm. And I think the frustration that happens is that is that men think they're being shunted aside and they can work to get into a fuck zone, but you can't. You're either in or you're out. And you know, if you're in, you can make it happen maybe a little sooner or a little later than uh, initially planned. But if you're not in the zone of fuckability for a woman, it ain't gonna happen ever. And a lot of mm. men frustrate themselves to no end because, and I see this at work. This is one of my favorite games at work is there's all the, there's a bunch of attractive women at my workplace and there's a bunch of men who puppy dog these women Mm -hmm. all the time and they just follow them around and they go out and they, you know, and it's all for the purpose of eventually sleeping with these women that they've worked with for three years. And I'm like, guys, if it hasn't happened, it ain't gonna with this chick move on. And that's what men don't do they can't move on and just be like all right she's not gonna fuck me i'm gonna move on and and that's that's the sort of thing that i'm fascinated about by because with with gay men that is not an issue gay men do not puppy dog once you know a guy is not gonna fuck you or you're not gonna fuck him you're out it's over you're gonna move the fuck on you just get over it it's yeah it's just all right it's not gonna work all right next person and that's That's sort of the thing that fascinates me to watch is I see these yeah. I see these men getting frustrated, but I'm like, you never had a chance, dude. Like yeah. she ain't she ain't gonna make it happen. Yeah. She would have done it already. Yeah, and just get the fuck over it. Yeah. No, I it's, I think most red pillars would actually subscribe to what you just said a hundred percent. And I think what the red pill is about is teaching the puppy dogs to not be fucking puppy dogs and yeah. to just get the fuck over it and be like, hey. It's not princess because that's what they think. They think, oh, she's the princess. Yeah. Right. They think like, I've been told that if I really like a girl a lot by Disney movies or by you know yeah, romantic I can, comedies, I, I can make it I happen. I can put in. Yeah, yeah I, can I can put, put in it work. in work and it'll work. And that's gonna know? work out. And it ain't because she's the one for yeah. me. Yeah. She's still a sexual creature and yeah. she has stuff that turns her on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it doesn't work that way. No. There's there's a couple girls at my job that I watch these men. Yeah. Just escort around and like you know they hang out for drinks and they try to arrange circumstances where they're hanging out together yeah it's just and like, i'm like stop. dude if she wants to fuck she's gonna she's gonna make that happen it's she's gonna, gonna be get obvious. your number yeah. and it's gonna take a few texts and it's gonna happen yeah and if she don't because they choose i mean ultimately they're the choosers you know they're the choosers whereas we're not and I, this is back to the 20 percent, 80 percent. you know i think naturally guys want to just you know, yeah. spread the seed. Whereas yeah. women choose. They say, okay, that's one. I'll take that one. You know, that's one that I can live with. But I think that, I think the other side of that is that a lot of guys would find women who choose them if they got over this yeah. thing. And they, because a lot of the guys at my work, I want to take aside and be like, you guys need to like go do other stuff with your life. You need to go pick up hobbies or go where there's chicks that have mutual interests as yours. And you're probably going to find a chick that's down yeah. to get with you. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. But you're so focused on this girl that you see every day at work. And she's just 
she doesn't want to fuck you. It's yeah. it's just not going to happen, dude. Like, so I don't want to invalidate men that feel frustrated, but I see a lot of guys going about it in this very counterproductive way. Oh no, I I think you're completely right, and and I think that that's what the awakening I think the red pill provides is, which is like, look, you got to get yourself in a situation where you're desirable, you know, and and whatever situation that is and you can't princess get in this princess idea where there's this girl that's like oh yeah you know she's she's the one for me you yeah. know because it's not true it's a lie you know it's not how mating no. really works you no know? They're, they're, they're they're creatures with their own yeah. things that turn them on it's yeah, different than men. No, it, no, it's no different at all, and that's why I think you know, without all the women hatred, the red pill is interesting because it's like, if we, yeah, women have their own desire, you know, they have their own set of factors that really makes them attracted to people, and it's like, you can't be mad at that, you know. We we have ours, and they have theirs, and theirs are different, yeah. But whatever, you know, it's it's the same thing. <laughs> 